Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and, and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. All right, well, good evening, Redemption Hill. It is, it is so good to worship with you all tonight. Um, to many of you, I feel like I have to say, like, hello, my name is Bill Rydell. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, Pastor Rich mentioned we have pizza with the pastors after this. Please stick around if you haven't done one of those and hang out with us. Um, but it is good to be back. Um, I've spent the last three months on a sabbatical, and I'm so thankful. Um, I really, before we get into the sermon, I do want to say thank you to our, our team. Our leadership team has done an incredible job. I had no worries about, about how well they would do this summer, but it's, it went well. So our staff, our elders, our Titus II team, our deacons, uh, thank you to all of you who have served so well. And also, we received, as a church, we received a grant from the Lilly Center for Clergy Renewal that made all of this possible for our church to do some things, for my family to do some incredible things. And that team was Emily Stone, Deanne Latiri, Chris Leinbaugh, Jess Mitchell, and Ryan Vanderbilt. Um, so I'm thankful to them. And also to those of you who are members, um, we have received so much encouragement from the members of this church. And for me, it's been a little bit, it's been humbling and a little weird because we're like, we've been given this grant and a chunk of money in three months as a family, and all I've heard from our members is how excited you all are for us. And I'm like, I don't know if I would be that clear-hearted, like pure-hearted. I think I might be a little jealous of that. So maybe you've just held that back. Um, but thank you for your encouragement throughout it all. Um, and Alyssa and my kids, it was a great break together. They've sacrificed a lot in starting and planting Redemption Hill Church. Um, by happenstance, this wasn't planned, I don't think, but today is by the day. August 21st is the 11th anniversary for Redemption Hill Church. Um, so it was August 21st, 2011, that we first had members, and, and really this thing kind of got started. And we, at that time, 11 years ago, we had 15 members in the church and about 40 people total. And, and, and so right now, the only original members of those 15 left are Alyssa and me, and then Ryan and Sandra Vanderbilt. Um, Ryan served as an elder for oh, eight of the last 11 years, and so he's served the church so well. Um, but we're, we moved here in 2010, and it was great this summer to have, in light of the last 12 years, a chance to step back. And I'm excited about the next season as we look ahead as a church. And so that's what we're going to talk about some tonight. Before we do, I'm going to pray. So let's pray. Father, we need your voice to reach us tonight. We need you to speak to us tonight. Lord Jesus, we know you're building your church, and we ask that you would continue to build Redemption Hill Church as part of that and as part of the advance of your kingdom. Holy Spirit, would you soften our hearts and open our ears? Would you direct our thoughts to where they ought to be? Open up the word for us. And Father, we pray, I pray that these things that have been ruminating in my own heart would be helpful 
for your church, Redemption Hill. And so as we open this up together tonight, we lift our time to you in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to continue. We, over the last three months, over the summer, um, I understand you've been in a series called, the, called Roots and Fruit um, with a number of guest preachers that have come in, as well as Pastor Eric and Pastor Rich, who have been preaching along the way. Um, and so today, we're going to continue some of that theme. Now, normally, if you're newer around Redemption Hill, we, our typical mode is we walk through books of the Bible, text by text. And so we're going to get back to that in September. We're going to re-enter the book of John. Now, I did think about that today. I w- there was part of me that was like, how great would it be to just step up and say, all right, we left off at John 11, so open your Bibles to John 12 and just launch into it. Um, and, and frankly, I think that might have been easier than what I'm going to try to accomplish tonight if the morning was any indication. Um, but before we jump back into the Gospel of John, which we will, I, we have two weeks here that I'm going to take to try to bring some things that have been, I've been wrestling through in my heart, things over the last month, the last month of the sabbatical especially, that um, as I've been looking at re-entering into regular rhythms of life and ministry and in our church, looking ahead to that we're headed into the next season as a church. We're more than 10 years in now, and so we're not just a church, new church plant anymore. We, there's some point where you have to stop saying that you're a church plant, and when you have multiple pastors and staff and, um, and you've been around for a while, we probably need to just say that we're, we're a church and, and so what is it going to look like ahead? And that's some of the stuff I've been wrestling with. And so this week, we're going to talk about, as you see on the screens, we're going to talk about how to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And next week, as we come back together, I, I want to talk about my hopes for Redemption Hill as we look ahead. And so that's where we're going the next couple of weeks. And then, like I said, in September, we jump back into John's gospel. But today... The next season for Redemption Hill, we have to figure out how to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way together. Um, And with that, I'm just going to admit this now or tell you this now. Um, One of my, uh, an older pastor who's now retired and is a mentor of mine, I heard him say probably 10 or 15 years ago that there was one chapter of one book that changed and reshaped his life and ministry. And so I went and got the book and read the chapter. Um, and I can say the same. That there's a, one chapter in this book. It's a book by Francis Schaeffer called No Little People. It's a collection of 16 sermons. But chapter four of this book is called The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way. So I've been very creative with the sermon title tonight. Um, and in fact, anything good that you hear tonight is probably Schaeffer. And so there's my disclaimer for the rest of the sermon. But this has been a formative passage for me, and I think you'll see why along the way, but one of the things that's been difficult for me over time and that I've been wrestling through over the last few weeks is this idea of doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way, and some of the great quotes that I've shared in the past along the way from Francis Schaeffer sound amazing, but I wasn't quite sure what it meant practically, how to wrestle it down to stuff that we could actually tangibly understand and try to do. And so my hope today is to do that, that we, it, we together as a church, if we're going to do this church thing together, how can we do it in the way that Jesus has called us to? And so that's what we're going to look at. Um, we're going to be, it's going to be because of that, we're going to be kind of bouncing around tonight, but I want to root things in Matthew chapter 28. And so this is, as Jesus calls his disciples together, he has been raised from death to life. He called them together in Galilee, and they, when they came to him, they worshiped him. But even then, in the presence of risen Lord Jesus, still some of the disciples doubted. They were still afraid. And so Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
whatever Jesus says next, we've got to pay attention to, right? All authority has been given to me, and so what he calls us to, commissions them to, is go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus calls us to this, to go out, and as we're going in life, to make disciples of people across all nations. This is why in Revelation we have the vision of, God, of Christ's throne, and before him are, are people from every tribe and nation and tongue. So this is an all-people gospel that, is, that Jesus is working to reach all people in this world. We, as his people, get to be a part of that. And as we do, there's a proclamation to proclaim the good news that Jesus is, was killed in our place for our sin, was raised from death to life, reigns in heaven now, and through him we can be saved and join God in his work, that we baptize people into faith and then teach them to observe all that Jesus had commanded. Now, Jesus, remember, was asked what the greatest commands were, what the greatest command was in multiple times in the Gospels. And do you remember how he responded? So, or at times he made other people say it too, but he said, the greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And before they could answer, he said, but wait, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we look at these two, the great commission and the great commandment, this shapes what, if you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, what we're called to. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, thank God that you're here. I'm so glad that you've joined us tonight. This is gonna be a little bit more of a sermon for the church. And so with that, I want you to hear that this is what you are invited into by Jesus. The things I'm going to be challenging the church with tonight are things that Jesus has, has made a way for you to be a part of his work as well. For Christians, though, this is what guides us, that we have the great commission, go and make disciples and teach them everything Jesus has commanded us. And what has he commanded us? Love God with everything you are and everything you have and love others sacrificially. And so that's what it means, that's the, the work that the Lord calls us to. Now Schaefer here says this as he talks about the Lord's work in the Lord's way and casts the, the distinction here. This is important for us because he says the central problem of our age, now he's writing in the 1970s, so it's been a while. Um, Schaefer died in 1984, but his words are still prescient. The central problem of our age is not liberalism or modernism, nor the old Roman Catholicism or the new Roman Catholicism, nor the threat of communism, nor even the threat of rationalism and the monolithic consensus which surrounds us. All these are dangerous, but not the primary threat. In our own context, we could say the primary threat to the gospel and to the church is not the political division of our time. It is not Christian nationalism or critical race theory. You can throw in all kinds of things that, that we tend as Christians to get concerned about what's happening around us as the greatest threats, but they, they're dangerous, but they are not the primary threat. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually and corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than of the spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. I want you to hear that. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than of the spirit, not in the circumstances surrounding them. 
This is true today. It's true for us. And so as we look at this, we need to be reminded, what is the mission of the church? And again, this is for all of us, no matter who you are, where you're coming from as you walk in today, that, that this is the mission of the church, is that we have been commissioned by Jesus to bear witness to him, to the risen and ascended Lord Jesus, proclaiming the good news of redemption and restoration, calling people to repent and be baptized and follow him and be part of what God is doing in renewing all things. We're called to be a kingdom of priests who love God and love others, ministering to people's needs and proclaiming God's goodness as part of the advance of the kingdom of light into darkness. I hope that if you're a follower of Jesus, just hearing those things, I, I hope that you're not just like, all right, I've heard this stuff and you write it off. I, I hope those are the kinds of things that, that just start to stir something in you. Like for, for me over the last three months, one of the things that Alyssa and I've talked a lot about is trying to look back and say, okay, 12 years ago, uh, we moved to D.C., and had three little kids, and we knew two people in the city, Ryan and Sandra Vanderbilt, who I mentioned, who were part of things from the beginning. Um, and, and we had this idea that we could start a church on Capitol Hill. It's ludicrous. Why did we do it? We wanted to remember that. And it, why we did it is because we believed that the seeds of the gospel grow best in the darkest soil. And we wanted to be a part of God's work in this place. We had a local church, Cornerstone in Virginia, that called us and sent us out. But our hope here was to see revival hit. A revival is, always begins within God's people. It's when, when sleepy Christians are woken up and you actually start to realize like, oh, this is important and God's moving and the gospel's real. When nominal Christians are saved, so when, when people who are around the church but, but haven't actually been filled with the, indwelled by the Spirit and come to Jesus fully, actually come to salvation and get excited about what God has done. And, and then we see people who don't know God coming in and joining his family and his church. And so this is the stuff that should be exciting, to be a part of the advance of God's kingdom and the, the renewal and restoration of all things, joining Jesus in his work of building his church. But here's the problem with all of that. We can't accomplish any of it. Not one thing that I just mentioned. We can't push back the kingdom of darkness on our own. We can't, uh, we can't meet people's needs the way we're called to. We won't be able to love self-sacrificially on our own. We, we certainly won't be able to see anybody's hearts changed or live tra lives transformed just because we try hard enough. Have you ever had somebody close to you, family member, a sibling, a parent, a spouse, that you decide that you're gonna to try to change their heart on something? That will backfire 100 times out of 100. Like, it, it does not work. And, it, and the more you try and the harder you try, the worse it will get. God can change hearts, we can't. And so all, everything that we, that we want to see God do in our midst, that, like we, we can't do any of it, but still we try. And if we try in our own strength to accomplish these things, then we might be able to see something happen, but it will not be the work of God. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 3. He's talking about Christian leaders, and he says, a foundation has been laid in the gospel. There's no other foundation for the church, but different leaders in different churches build differently. 
Some are building out of gold and, and precious stones that, that will last through the fire, that are valuable and lasting. It's the work of God, doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Others are building out of wood and hay and straw, stuff that is just going to be burned up and nothing will be left. And so when we have a tendency to think that when God is at work, it means it's going to look a certain way or, or bring a certain amount of growth or look a certain size, not realizing that, there, that it's God's choice to move. But I want to be part of God's work, so where in the world do we start? So here's about as far as I've gotten in the past, I feel like. And tonight I want to give us some things that we can cling to and hold on to. So seven characteristics of the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Seven is the number of completion. Um, and we're going to do this in the time that we have. The first characteristic of doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way is that it is, it is resting in the Lord's power. I know it doesn't say resting on the screen. If you're taking notes, please write the word resting in your notes. It's resting in the Lord's power. This is what Jesus said, right, in Matthew 28 that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and then the promise, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He doesn't say to his disciples, all right, here's what you're supposed to do. Go and make disciples, baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit, teach them everything that I've commanded you, and work really hard to do it. No, he says, this is what I'm commissioning you to, but don't worry, you're not alone. I'm with you, and I have all power, all authority in heaven and on earth. Schaefer says, there is no source of power for God's people for preaching or teaching or anything else except for Christ himself. Apart from Christ, anything which seems to be spiritual power is actually the power of the flesh. And so the first thing for us, if we're going to do God's work, if we as a church are coming together, wanting to be a part of the, of the movement of God in this place, We've got to rest in the Lord's power. When there was a few years ago, uh, pre-COVID, so 2019, I think, the summer of 2019, um, Alyssa and I were at an Acts 29 conference for some leadership groups in Berlin, which it was, it, Berlin's a beautiful city. We really enjoyed our time there, and we spent some time walking around, but then we were going to try to, like, walk and see sites, but we realized that they were more spread out than we thought, and then we saw these bicycles that had one guy was on the bike as your tour guide, and then it had a round table on it where you could put your cold carbonated beverage of choice in Germany on it, and it had six seats with pedals for people to sit and bicycle while you did your tour. And so six of us got on this thing, and two of us are able to produce more torque than the rest of the group. <laughs> and so it was bizarre being on this bike with a you know, a, a German lager on the, on, the, on the table and be holding on to it and pedaling but going backwards in the middle of Berlin traffic and like the guy stopping and your rear end is like three inches from the car's bumper in front of you. But he took us down a lot of the Berlin Wall to Checkpoint Charlie to different places where through it to, of, of the sites that you want to see. But when we got toward Checkpoint Charlie, um, the other guy and I, who was another guy about my size, there were three guys, but the two of us were, we were the power source. The, the, our wives just sat back and enjoyed the ride. But then we got excited. He said that he wanted to pick up speed, so we hit hard and we busted the chain off of the sprocket. The bike stopped going anywhere. <laughs> and he's, but he stopped, he had a toolkit, he fixed it all, but we had to get the chain reattached 
and we had to be more gentle in the future with his bicycle for this tour to continue. When we try to see the kingdom of God move forward in our own power, but not attached to what God is doing, resting in the power of Christ, it's the same as that is trying to move that bicycle without any connection with that chain. It's not going to move. It's not going to go anywhere. We're just going to continue to pedal as hard as we can, and it's not going to make an impact. Because when it comes to power, we have none on our own. We can try as hard as we want and not move anything, and, and we might think things are moving again because we measure by size or growth or they had this idea of this kind of like nebulous influence. But all the work that is done the Lord's way comes from a place of rest, in God's power and in God's presence. And, and if we are working in the Lord's power rather than our own, we have no idea how things might take off. At Redemption Hill, we need to recognize as a church when God is at work and recognize his power and remember that we are reliant on God's word, on the Spirit's power and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the more we rely on those things, the more likely we are to see God work in our midst. As soon as we give one of those up, we start working in our own power. If we start to look to something other than Scripture as God's word to us and diminish its place, if we start to, to look to something other than the, the good news of the gospel and start to come up with our own methodology to try to get people to live better lives, if we start to rely on our own efforts rather than the Spirit's movement, the work we are doing will not be the work of Christ. And on a personal level, we need to remember this too. Because every one of us, deep down, thinks that we're self-sufficient. We want to be self-sufficient. I don't want to rely on anybody. Like, we, we don't want to have to rely on anybody else because we want to be able to do things ourselves. But it's an illusion. None of us is self-sufficient. You were created with a need for other people, and we were created with a need for God's presence in our lives. Every one of us. And so no matter who you are tonight, you've come here and there is a need within you, an emptiness within you that only Christ can fulfill, only Christ can satisfy. And so we need to keep relying on him and rest in the Lord's presence and power. Now, how do we do that? Again, this is, it sounds great. Okay, I'm going to rest in God's presence and power. But it, like, you know this, right? I'm, I'm the type of person that like when a day off comes, I'm like, all right, I am going to nail this day off. I'm going to rest so great. <laughs> and it doesn't work. The more you try to orchestrate rest, the less restful it is. So how do we rest in the Lord's power? Well, that's the second characteristic. We rest in God's power by recognizing our need. It's by recognizing our need. The deepest need any of us have has is our own redemption and renewal. We are a mess on our own. We don't want anybody else to see it. Because it's dangerous for people to see our deep vulnerabilities. My guess is that you've been hurt by people who see your vulnerability. That there have been times when they've, it's been held against you and people have spoken against you and used your vulnerability against you. It's happened to every one of us. It's happened to me. But, but when we recognize our own need, that puts us in a place where Christ can meet that need and we can finally rest. Paul did this in 2 Corinthians I've been resting in the letter of 2 Corinthians really for the last month. That's where God's drawn my heart. And I think it's Paul's most personal letter, where he's most open with the church there, where he gets sarcastic at points and 
kind of flippant at points, but also you can hear his heart for these people, and he's been burned, and they don't, they're diminishing his ministry and turning to other teachers, and he addresses some of that, and they think that he bailed on them on a visit, so like chapter one and two, you see him saying like, I know I really did intend to come to you, even though I couldn't make it, like you guys are holding this against, like this is give, give and take that you just don't see in some like Romans, this great theological magisterium. But in chapter one, we see this. And Paul says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, or brothers and sisters, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. This is the Apostle Paul. I'm convinced that most American Christians would not accept a pastor speaking this way now. Of saying, listen, I was afflicted and I got to a point uh, that I was so utterly burdened and beyond my strength that I despaired of life itself and I felt like I'd received a sentence of death. Some of you can feel what the apostle's saying here though. Some of you have walked those kinds of dark valleys. And as you read those words, you realize that there's something, it strikes a deep chord inside of you because you've been there. So listen, just as an aside, I want you to hear, don't ever let anybody diminish being tired, wrestling with anxiety, or fighting your way through depression. Sometimes Christians get weird about mental health. Don't listen. God's given us common grace. And I know personally, because there have been times when, because I have had these struggles too, and walked through stretches of pretty deep, dark valleys. And it's true that at times when that gets exposed, when people see that vulnerability, they don't know what to do with it, and so they push back and push away. That Paul here is open, as he writes, and it's been preserved for us. And, and, and look what happened, because he was willing to be that vulnerable, he says, we felt we received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. How did he come to a point to rest in God's power and presence? Because he was brought to a point where he did not want to live. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, he will deliver, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Later on in chapter 12, he, chapter 11, he talks about all of his, the ways that he has suffered, which we look at now, like 2,000 years removed, and we're like, wow, look at Paul's a hero for this. You have to understand in the context here, the Corinthians would have read this and said, like, it would have been disqualifying things. Like, a teacher and somebody you turn to as a mentor wouldn't be somebody who was, who was whipped 30, 39 lashes five different times, three times beaten with rods, once stoned, shipwrecked, exposed in nature, didn't have any stability. And on top of it all, he says, I carried my anxiety for all the churches. And so he's talking about his own anguish and what he had walked through for the sake of the gospel. And, and, but he says then that there was this thorn that he had. We don't know what it is, but listen to what he says. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited, 
Because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, visions he had seen, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He's saying so that his own pride wouldn't get in the way because that is what will remove us from God's work and we will start doing it our own way. He says God had given him something that would not let up. And, and in that, he said, it was a gift of God, given by God, but a messenger of Satan. And three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me. So it's in the depth of Paul's anguish that he finally hears Jesus' voice, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul's like, therefore, in light of that, I'll boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest on me. For the sake of Christ, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, calamity, because he had seen when he was weak, he is strong. The apostle shows us here what it looks like to, have, to rest in the power and presence of God and do the Lord's work the Lord's way because he recognized his need. And the Bible does this again and again and again. We see people's stories in complete reversal. Whether it's Abraham or Moses or David or Peter or here, the Apostle Paul, who had been the persecutor of Christians and now was experienced persecution so that he could bring the gospel to the nations and see more people become Christians. But we see this over and over again. And these are things we aren't capable of. It's God's work. We need to admit our own need. And that's true for us as a church. The more we rest in our own comfort, in our own strategies, in our own, in our own ability to get ministry done, the less we will be a part of God's work. And personally, get to a point where you stop acting like you have it all together. It's a, this is a church where it's okay to not be okay and admit your needs so that you can experience grace in life. All right, third characteristic is that we're led by the Spirit. If we're gonna do the Lord's work the Lord's way, we need to be led by the Spirit. Um, Jesus this is, is, was led by the Spirit of God. And this is in Luke chapter 3. It talks about his baptism and that, that his cousin John was baptizing people in the Jordan River. And, and so Jesus came and was baptized by John, aligning himself with the movement of the people of God and, and with, with entering into the promised land, purified and cleansed and, and identifying himself that way. But as he was baptized, you have this Trinitarian moment where the curtain is peeled back because the people there and John himself said, I saw the Spirit descend on him like a dove bodily. And I heard the voice of the Father say, this is my Son whom I love. Like, so the voice of the Father, the presence of the Spirit as the Son is baptized in that moment. Now, none of us have experienced that in baptism. If you've been baptized, you probably didn't have a dove descend on you. But... We are promised that if you follow Christ, any of us that admit our own need and come to rest and trust in Christ's sufficiency as our Savior, that we are indwelled by the same Spirit. And so whether or not you saw it bodily, the Spirit of God is with us and we will never be alone again. Um, when we were just on the sabbatical, what, part of what we were able to do was we spent some time in Israel and, um, and we went to the baptismal spot near Jericho where Jesus was baptized. And um, normally, if you've been around Redemption Hill, we, when we do baptisms, we set up a, like a tank down here, and it's done during our services because it's a chance for the church to welcome somebody into the family of God and, and confirm their profession of faith. Um, and so 
the only baptism I've ever done outside of a church was this past summer. But as our church, I want you to be able to celebrate with us. So my son Simon was baptized in the Jericho where Jesus was. Um, and so praise God for that and God's work in his life. But after Jesus was baptized, he was led by the Spirit. It says immediately, Luke chapter 4, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Not where we think the Spirit would lead us, right? Like what about some impact for your kingdom, God? But he led Jesus into the wilderness where he spent 40 days and then was tempted by Satan. We need to understand that, that the spirit, same Spirit of God is still at work. And when Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1, um, he was talking to the disciples about the kingdom, and he said to them, like, listen, stay here in Jerusalem. That was their, their command. Stay here where they were in Jerusalem. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was his last words in the book of Acts to his people. And this mission has continued to us today. That if we are led by the Spirit of God, then we will see God's work and be a part of his work here in D.C., in the DMV, in the surrounding region and area on the East Coast, and to the ends of the earth. And Redemption Hill, we've been able to be a part in the last 11 years of, of starting churches in Belfast and in Mexico City and, and contributing and helping church planters up and down the East Coast uh, because of our willingness to follow the Spirit of God's leading in those things. And so thank God for that. And I know when we talk, start talking about the Holy Spirit, there's two different reactions. We have a very broad spectrum of people at Redemption Hill and broad spectrum of backgrounds. For some of you, when we start talking about the Spirit, you kind of go like, eh. <laughs> I don't know. I'm more comfortable with Father, Son, and Holy Bible. <laughs> and others of you are like, thank God, finally. <laughs> um, the Spirit doesn't have to be mysterious and strange. The, one, I'm, the things that are clear as we look at the New Testament and the New Testament church is that if you are in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within you. Every one of you. And there will be moments in your life where you sense the Spirit's leading and feel the Spirit's fullness to accomplish things that you wouldn't have done on your own. And it doesn't have to be something strange. It's not, I mean, you hear people's stories sometimes and they're like, well, I was sitting with somebody and suddenly I could speak Chinese. And you're like, well, I, maybe that doesn't happen to you. But, I mean, it could be small things. This last week, I had a moment where on Thursday, I was trying to prep to preach for the first time in three months, wondering if I could still do it <laughs> and, and how this was going to go. And I had a dentist appointment that morning because... Apparently, at my age, you have to start getting fillings replaced that you had done in your adolescence. Um, nobody tells you that, so there's some information for some of you. And so I spent some time with the dentist, and I was kind of numbed up and got home, and I was working on my sermon. It was a quiet house. Everybody was out. And I heard a knock at the door and thought, ah, oh, maybe it's like an Amazon package, and I don't want to leave that out because DC. And, and so I went to the door, and I, I looked through the window, but the, the young woman made eye contact with me, and I was like, ah, oh, she saw me. And so I opened the door and like put my face out. <laughs> like, hi, sorry, I don't, I don't have time right now. And she was from Amnesty International and trying to get donations. And I, normally I'm pretty cold hearted on that stuff, I hate to admit. And something, there was just something inside me, it was like something in her eyes, I was like, I'm, okay, I'm gonna go out and talk to this girl. 
And I went out and sat down, and all of a sudden she, she, she said, well, so what do you do for work? And I was like, I don't know what this has to do with donations, but I said, I'm a pastor. And like her face was like, she was like, I didn't expect that. I was like, okay. She said, I thought you were like a power lifter or something. I was like, that's flattering. Thank you, but no. (laughs) And, but as we sat and talked, she all of a sudden opened up about her struggle that she had been going to a church and she had been bouncing around because of money problems and the background she grew up in and that the church she had gone to before the pandemic hit, that she, it wasn't the same, that she didn't sense God's presence there the same way and that a lot of the people weren't there and that she was wrestling with trying to read her Bible and do podcasts and, was, and she asked me like, is that okay or do I need to be in a church? And, and, and there were just moments where all of a sudden she opened up and as I was talking to her, there were just moments where scripture came to mind and I was just able to speak things over her that I didn't, that opened up in ways that I couldn't have predicted for her. Now, that doesn't mean that I have some kind of more direct line because I'm a pastor. There's just a moment where you go, okay, I'm willing to step out of my comfort right now where I want to close my door and go and sit down and do something for God and write this sermon. But a willingness to go, just a sense inside of maybe I'll sit down with this person. That's what it means to have, be led by the Spirit. That's one instance where I got it right. I'm sure there's plenty of times when I ignore it. But it doesn't, it's, not, it's not something that mysterious. We can be confident as a church that the Spirit is with us. And I really believe that as we look at Redemption Hill Church, we can see the fruit of the Spirit and the Spirit's leading. But we need to commit together to a greater dependence to be led by the Spirit and, and as individuals as well. But how do we do that? Well, that gets to the fourth point. How, do we, how are we more led by the Spirit? How do we follow the Spirit's leading more? By taking the lowest place. Philippians chapter 2 has this Christ hymn that's beautiful where Paul says to the church in Philippi, listen, you have the mind of Christ already and so you need to be unified together. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but, but, but put others first and take on the posture of Jesus. He says, Jesus was, became a servant. He emptied himself of all of the access to his own glory among humanity, came in as in the posture of a servant even to the point of a cross, being killed in a shameful way in our place for our sin. But the result of that was that God has highly exalted him. And so Jesus is the model that Paul holds forward, and this is for us as well, that we, if we want to be led by the Spirit, we need to take the lowest place we can and not aspire to something that is beyond what God has lined up for us. Let me break that down a little bit. Francis Schaeffer said here, he said, Jesus commands Christians to seek consciously the lowest seat in the room. All of us, pastors, teachers, professional religious workers, and non-professional included, we are all tempted to say, I'll take the larger place. It will give me more influence for Jesus Christ. Both individual Christians and Christian organizations fall prey to the temptation of rationalizing this way as we build bigger and bigger empires. But according to scripture, this is backwards. We should consciously take the lowest place unless the Lord himself extrudes us to something greater. 
That word extrude is important, and Schaefer breaks that down too. That's like if you think of a pasta press that's pushing the dough and, and pushing the spaghetti through the, through the wheel. Or you think about it, Play-Doh if you haven't done pasta, and you push Play-Doh through different toys and it extrudes the Play-Doh through. That if we're willing to allow God's spirit to push us, mold us, shape us into places that are uncomfortable, that will, but something different will come out, that's what we should be seeking. And part of that is seeking the lowest place, not elevating ourselves above others, never placing ourselves, not ever running resume lines through others, like, don't you know, I'm kind of a big deal. But instead, acting in humility, following Jesus and giving up our rights to glory. Because by the way, Jesus also said that the more we're recognized by people here, the more of our reward we've already received. And so which do you think is going to be better? To get as much glory from other people now or to take on the posture of a servant led by the Spirit of God so that when we get to the end, we come into the presence of Jesus himself and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I had this modeled by my mentor pastor, our sending pastor at Redemption Hill, who just retired. His name is Bill Kynes, and he is truly the most humble man I've ever met. He has done far more than anyone will ever realize and never pursued his own power or platform, but in the meantime has done massive work that has changed the direction of whole movements of churches. He's written books that he won't even put his name on because it's supposed to be the statement of churches or organizations that he was asked to, be, to contribute to. And so it's something that we can, that, that we will, but he didn't receive the recognition now that I think he deserves. But there's a reward coming that exceeds it all. So as a church, we need to do this, to be careful, to remember what a church is. Churches can easily forget their churches and get caught up in certain causes so much that they forget the centrality of the gospel and, and forget that we are not anyone's personal savior. So we have to be involved in loving our neighbor well, but not so caught up in other activity that we lose the ultimate calling to, uh, to, to, for people to come into the gospel and into the kingdom, and for every one of us to lower ourselves as well. The fifth characteristic is trusting in God's methods. So in the Lord's power, by recognizing our need, led by the Spirit, by taking the lowest place, and fifth, trusting in God's methods. In Ephesians chapter six, Paul talks about the, the, the way that we're supposed to be geared up for what God has called us into. And the language he uses, he uses the language of, of spiritual battle, and so he talks about the armor of God. Um, those, if any of you grew up in... Uh, like a suburban church context, you probably had the plastic toy armor of God in the children's ministry area where people would be, some kid is always running around with the helmet of salvation and hitting people with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, um, which doesn't quite, I don't think, capture the essence of the text. But Paul says there, the language he uses, like this is what we're called to is, is we're supposed to have the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and shoes of the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. And above all of it, he calls us to pray. That's God's method that he calls us to. 
The truth is what holds things together. The, we are covered by Christ's righteousness. That's what protects us. What, what brings us out when we, as we go to the nations is the peace of the gospel. We are to be a people of peace and peacemakers. The shield of faith, our faith is what protects us as Satan takes shots at us. We have a, our salvation is what, what protects us in vital ways. And the thing that we wield is not something that does damage. It is the word of God that is, that is the sword of the Spirit of God that we are told in Hebrews chapter 4 is sharper than any two-edged sword and divides between soul and joint and marrow, soul and spirit, exposing our hearts before God. There is nothing in that methodology that you will read in any leadership or business book, which can be incredibly helpful to the church. We need organizational wisdom but we need to be careful not to get so caught up in organizational wisdom that we forget God's methods. And above all of it is prayer, which we don't think of as a method to actually see God work. Often, the way that we live functionally shows that we don't believe prayer is action. Paul Miller challenges this, so does H.P. Charles, and I think these are important, that Paul Miller says, what do I lose if I have a praying life? He said, what is there to lose to actually rely on prayer? Well, I lose control and independence. What do I gain? A friendship with God. A quiet heart. Which, by the way, the reason that Schaefer says we should take the lowest place is because in the lower place, it's easier to find quiet and stillness before God. So we, we gain a quiet heart, the living work of God in the hearts of those I love, the ability to roll back the tide of evil. Essentially, I lose my kingdom and get his. I move from being an independent player to a dependent lover. I move from being an orphan to a child of God. H.B. Charles said, prayer is our Christian duty. It's an expression of submission to God and dependence on him. And for that matter, prayer is arguably the most objective measure of our dependence on God. The things that you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. It sounds like, like Reverend Charles has been reading Schaefer. <laughs> the things we don't pray about are the things that we think we can accomplish in the power of the flesh. The things that we do pray about are things that we want to accomplish doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way, empowered by his spirit. And so prayer, we need to be more devoted to prayer individually, corporately, as a church, believing that, that sometimes the most powerful, not sometimes, the most powerful thing we can do is come together before our God. The sixth characteristic is walking through the mud. This is, uh, this is language that Schaefer uses, but, but this means that it won't always be easy to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. It, that, that we have to walk into the muck and mire of this world around us, as Jesus did. But Jesus was able to enter into the dirt of people's lives and the mess of people's lives in ways that the religious establishment wasn't willing to, but he didn't do it and then get caught up in it himself. He went in and pulled people up and people out of it. Thank God. I needed him to do that. I need him to do that, and I will need him to do that. And so for every one of us, that gives us hope that if you've come in here and you feel too dirty to come to God, you need to know that Christ is the one that said, listen, it's not the doctor, or it's not the, the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. He's saying, I'm, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
And so the, the characteristic you need to have in order to come to Jesus is recognition that you are a sinner in need of a savior. But it's also hard because it will take everything that you have. I think we have this illusion sometimes that doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way means that we won't get tired, means that it'll all be skipping and joyful. And there'll be times and seasons where it should be joyful and celebratory and easy and fun, but it will take everything that you have. You can see this again all the way through scripture. Look at Jesus as he went into the garden of Gethsemane. He was so anxiety ridden that he was sweating like drops of blood. Elijah, after, after being God's instrument to defeat the prophets of Baal and show God's superiority, then ran for his life and said to God, like, I don't even want to live. I'm the only one left that follows you. Everyone else has abandoned you. And God's answer to Elijah was, here's something to eat. Take a nap. You're not the only one left. I have people that you don't know about. And God's work is not dependent on any one of us. Now listen, the last two and a half years have been hard. They've been crazy. And in our church, a small, relatively small percentage of people have poured themselves out to keep our work and witness going. And I know that some of you feel like Elijah in the cave right now. You're going, I'm done. I'm the only one out here doing this work. I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. Lord, I, this isn't worth it. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you. Get some nourishment. Get some food for your heart, your soul, or, and your body. Rest. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. Don't grow too weary in doing good work so that you'd give up. And remember that Sabbath is a command. But rest, we need you for the long haul. The seventh characteristic that we'll land on tonight is getting things done. This is, you have to go through the first six before you get to seven. If you start with seven then, and we just want to get things done, you're going to be working in the power of your own flesh. I know this because that's true for me. If I see something and I'm like, I know what to do, it's easy to come up with tactical strategies for how to, how to solve something. Like that, that's something that's, that can be pretty simple, but, but actually getting into the heart of things is much more complex. And so you have to go through the first six, but, but as you go through these first six and, and work in the Lord's, resting in the Lord's power, recognizing your need, led by the Spirit, taking the lowest place, trusting God's methods, walking through the mud, and then still there's a point where we have to say it's time to get stuff done. And for some of you, you're always working, and you need to find a way to make sure that your rhythms are sustainable and that you find rest for others of you, maybe you're always waiting. It's good to take time and pray about something, but have you ever found yourself using that as an excuse because you just don't want to say no flat out? Hey, we need more people to help with set up and tear down. Ah, let me, I'll pray about it. We need some more people in kids' ministry. Can you serve? You know, I'll, I'll pray about it. And in your head you're going like, nope, 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 nope. Maybe at some point, as you live and exist in a prayerful state, trusting in God's method of prayer before him, you can actually step out and do things that are uncomfortable for you. Now, I know some of you have come in wounded in need of deep healing. There's church hurt in people's past. You can take your time. There's a safe place for that. But again, we need to be honest here as well that it's been a, a, a heavy load the last two and a half years, and some of our leaders and members are pretty worn down right now. 
We haven't seen some of our members in a while, and we know that some have health needs that, that make it, still make it dangerous and frightening to be in person. And so we, we, that's why we continue to, to gather online and be able to make it possible for people to be a part of this as much as we can. And also, we know that's not all of you. We need the members of this church to be plugged in. And we have a lot of people over, a lot of new people over the last year. I mean, I don't recognize many of your faces here tonight and really have to introduce myself. Like, hi, I, I'm a pastor here. And I'm glad and I hope you stay for pizza. But, and I, so I'm so glad you're here. And some of you are coming with deep hurt and need of healing and need time and space to rest. And some of you are ready to hear the call. Like, we need you. Step up, join us. We need help in the work. God didn't bring us together, you to this church, so just so we could sit back and be entertained. Like, kids' ministry needs help, tech needs help. It was mentioned already, the band needs drummers. And so if you're like, well, I haven't played drums since high school, Devin doesn't care. <laughs> See if it's w worth it to step out. It could be helping out your CG leaders to bear the burden of, of weekly meetings or even becoming a leader yourself. But these are the things that give the characteristics that show us what it looks like to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And all of this matters because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To, and to follow Jesus is costly for every one of us, but the reward is massive. There's the presence and power of God, a life of fullness and joy now and for eternity. And so if you're not a Christian, trust Jesus and follow him, and you get to be a part of his work that he is doing in renewing and restoring all things. And if you are, Join us. This is my hope looking ahead, that as a church we would embody these characteristics increasingly and be able to trust and believe that we are doing the true work of God in the way that he's called us to, working together so that it might be in D.C. as it is in heaven to the glory of God and the joy of all people. Let's pray. Um, Father, everything we just talked about are things that we can't accomplish on our own. That's hard to face. So would you help us tonight to see that you've entrusted the gospel to us, that you do want to work in and among and through us as individuals and through our church. Would you help us to, to embody these characteristics really are the characteristics we see in Christ himself to take seriously the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, to, to take seriously the need to make disciples of all nations and teach them what Jesus has commanded and in that, that he's commanded us to love you supremely and others sacrificially, that, that our lives would reflect the gospel more clearly, that, that our church would be shaped by the gospel into a community of grace and truth. Would you help us to lay down our masks and come to you more openly and in front of each other more openly as well. Lord, for those who are struggling, for those who are, who are still wrestling with, with the impact of the ongoing nature of this virus, we pray that you would bring comfort and hope and an end to it. For those who are struggling and have come and are around the edges here at Redemption Hill, but are coming out of places where they've experienced deep hurt and pain, we pray that you would bring healing, that the gospel would be a balm that brings healing to those wounds. We pray for those of us that, 
need to, be, need to hear your voice in leading more actively that you would stir our hearts that way as well. Lord, in all of this, we trust that you can work, that you are working, and we pray that you would give us a sensitivity to only increasingly be a part of that, and we pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.